Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One of the really important things when you're dealing with hijackals, those relentlessly difficult people, is if you go to divorce them, they want everything. Even though they don't even like everything, they want everything. And one of the things they want is child custody, even if they don't like the kids. So today we're going to be talking with an attorney who's an expert in child custody. So stay tuned. Welcome to Save Your Sanity Podcast. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. Are you living with the chaos, confusion, and uncertainty that a toxic person loves to create? Is a partner, parent, ex, sibling, child, or coworker causing you to second-guess yourself? That can be crazy-making. I'm here to help you save your sanity. So let's get down to it and figure some things out now. Stay tuned. Welcome to Save Your Sanity Podcast. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. And I'm so glad you're here. I hope you're learning things about recognizing the difficult people in your life, the toxic relationships, and then moving on to recovering and rebuilding a life after you have had that recognition. Many times I'm helping my clients worldwide with going to court, and that becomes a very important piece. And what could be more important than child custody? So I've invited my colleague and my friend, Andrea Schneider, to be here with us today. And she is an attorney specializing in child custody and visitation agreements. Welcome to the program, Andrea. Thank you, Dr. Shaler. Well, this is exciting for me because when I can bring a real expert on a small area of things that are really big news to people who are dealing with toxic relationships. This is a real gift. So I have some big questions for you. Before I do that, though, I'm going to tell everybody that you are the, uh, the mother of two awesome kids. So you have some <laughs> understanding of what it feels like if someone were going to try and take your children away and and go through all of that. And I know that one thing that's really important to you is the best interest of the children. So let's just talk about that particular thing first. How do the courts define best interest of the children? How would, how would they know? How do they measure? Well, the court's really looking for interaction from both parents. And so the, you have to think about the court is going to spend a very small amount of time with you and your family. And if you can't make decisions for your family, you've now put it in the judge's hands and they're going to make those decisions for you. So their version of best interest might be very different than what the family's version might be. So in my... That's the question, you know. Right, right. What are they thinking? Definitely. And you might have different judges that have a different version of what best interest. They should all be somewhat standardized. But as you and I both know, based on our experiences over the years, you might get a very different result from different judges or a different result from the same judge on a different day or different month or different year. So 
it's really important that you're focused on what you feel is the best interest of your children and be an advocate for what that is. Mm-hmm. Well, it just occurred to me as I was preparing to talk to you today that is there actually a court definition of best interest of the children or well-being of the children? Because I've mediated lots of California divorces and it always talks about the best interest of the children, the well-being of the children being paramount when we're looking at child custody. And, and I thought, is there a generalized definition? Would we ever know from the court how to know? So the answer is no. Is that right? Well, I'd have to look in the judges. There is a judge's handbook, and they get a lot of guidance on these. But their interpretation of exactly what that means, and you'd have to look at case law to see what it means. And you know, but we're all human, and so we have different versions of what is best in this particular circumstance for little Johnny. And for most courts, they're going to say interaction and a, a relationship with mom and dad, assuming it's a heterosexual couple. We have obviously some same-sex couples as well, or parents. Um, Whoever the parents are, it's best for the child in many circumstances for both parents to be interactive and part of that child's life. And that's kind of where the court's going to look at it at first and see if that's possible. Now, of course, there's always exceptions. You've got a parent who's in prison or um, on drugs or various um, things like that, then it's not in the best interest for the child to be with that parent on a regular basis, perhaps. Yes, and yet still, you know, in the wonderful world that I live in, the world of hijackals and helping people handle hijackals, is that they will go to court and they may be not the most savory character in the world, but they are ultimately deceitful and manipulative simultaneously and can spin a charming story to court I know it's not right. My client's attorney knows it's not right. My client certainly knows it's not right. And the children know it's not right. And yet that story can prevail. So what can a person do when they're mitigating and and navigating their child custody when it seems to be going in the direction of a person who's lying? Is there anything you can do? Well, as you and I both know, actions speak louder than words. So we not only pay attention to what they're saying, but what are they doing? So they might say they want little Johnny, we'll use Johnny again, or little Susie every Thursday night, but then perhaps they haven't even seen that child on the last three Thursday nights, but yet they want to go back to court to get more time. So we, I suggest that people keep a journal, whether it's on a little piece of paper, a notebook, um, on the computer, however they do it and or a lot of our clients might be using something called talking parents um, or our family wizard. So they're tracking things. They contacted the person, the other parent. Two days ago, they're not getting a response. So I really am big on documentation to see what is it that we're supposed to be doing that they say they are doing, but are they really doing it? So are they really fulfilling what they're supposed to be doing now or are they not? And yet they still want more, even though they're not fulfilling what they're already supposed to be doing, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes ultimate sense. It's not good, but it makes ultimate sense. Like I am big on documentation too. And I I usually have people keep those files on their phone and keep their phones locked Mm -hmm. or put it in their phone in Dropbox and, and keep Dropbox locked. But it is so important because if... 
someone goes for more custody, a hijackal says, I'm going to take you to court again. I want more custody. And the, the presentation has been, as you said, well, you haven't seen the kids for two years, but all of a sudden you've popped in and you want to take over. Um, do you think the court really looks at that? Because I've had situations where it's been exactly the scenario I just mentioned. And the person comes in, the hijackal comes in and says to the court, oh, I know I've been delinquent. I know I've been terrible, but I'm changed. And now I want to see my children. I want a fresh start. Mm-hmm. Well, every circumstance is different, different. And you really have to look and see what's going on behind it. You know, was the person out to sea because they're in the military? I had one a year or so ago. The father's 15 miles away, but he hasn't seen the kids in like eight years. Well, all of a sudden when my client... Um, went to court about something regarding something, something different on the case. He now filed, he wants to see the kids 50% of the time. The kids don't even know him. So, you know, and then of course, child support could be an issue. So sometimes parents claim they want to spend so much more time with the child. And a lot of it is motivated by trying to decrease child support or increase child support, whatever the case might be. So there are a lot of factors Uh, It's good to document everything like we just talked about, and you're kind of building your case along the way. And when I take these cases, that's what I'm looking for is let's document and even going forward into time, even if we have an agreement now, document in the future, like what are they not doing that they were supposed to do? And let's keep track of that so that when we go back to court, if we have to, we can write that into declaration uh, that really makes sense. Yes, and I add something to that, Andrea, because I tell people, all right, in that what they're not doing part, when you document that X calls up and says, I know it's my weekend, but can I exchange with you? You say, no, there's no exchange, but I will take the children. And so you begin to show the pattern that you have more and more and more time where the X has decided not to use their custody time that was negotiated, that was perhaps mediated, that was agreed to, but they made a big deal about wanting all that time, but things kept popping up that they couldn't quite do it. And, you know, come on, won't you just exchange with me? And I always tell my people, no, it's very important to you follow the letter of the agreement and that when you're dealing with a hijackal, It's not amicable. It's all about them getting what they want and you getting as little as possible. So say, yes, I'll always take the children, but no, I won't exchange. And I always build something when I build agreements for people. And I like to create something very specific in writing. And it's basically called first right of refusal. So the father will say the father can't take the kids that particular weekend. Then it's, he gives the mother, we'll say mother, traditional, more traditional family, Um, the first right to have the kids that weekend, as opposed to he takes them, but he drops them at his girlfriend's house or his mother's house. And as you know, that happens all the time. And he or she's got their visitation. No, not really, because they just drop the kids somewhere else for the weekend, for the week, or however long that might be. And we see that all the time. Yes, we see it all the time. And I, I, I agree with that. In fact, I think that that should happen, even if it's, it's a six or eight hour stretch of time that there should be that first right of refusal to the other parent. And I've had a situation where a 
fellow who was the hijackal, he was the difficult one, they had been divorced already for five years and he had been remarried for four and a half of them. And he still came after her for custody, for money. He would call her five times a day, check up on her parenting. And when it was inconvenient for him, which was quite often for the children, he just had circulating nannies that were always in the house. So the children might not even know the nanny because the nanny had quit and there was a new nanny, but he still was able to say, I'm providing for my children and my children are not alone during my custody time, but it wasn't custody time. Right. I mean, custody to me suggests time with the other parent, <laughs> not just time looked after by someone on behalf of the other parent. Right. One would hope that when the child is visiting that other parent, the parent, uh, that they're actually spending some quality time. And if you think about it, and when you have both parents in the house, sometimes people are busy and in some ways you can maybe provide more of a quality relationship with a child when you only have them eight hours a week or whatever it might be, or two nights that you could really spend some quality time with your child as opposed to pawning them off on someone else. That would be a goal. That would be in my idea of um, what's best for the child, spending quality time with the parent as opposed to just being present somewhat. For sure. And why did you decide to focus on child custody of all the different pieces of this wonderful world of separating families? To be honest with you, divorces drive me kind of crazy. There's a lot of components in divorces, as you know. So we can spend the time fighting over the bar stool and the this and the that, and there's a lot of issues and the retirements. But for me as a mom, as you mentioned earlier, that's the most significant portion. What can we do for this little human being that's in this situation that really doesn't want to be the go-between, doesn't want to be in the middle, loves mom, loves dad, loves both parents, Um, and yet they're now maybe having to live in two homes and, and kids are very adjustable for the most part. So they'll adjust to that, but how can we focus on what's really best for them? And to me, that's not going to court every other week because the other parent was five minutes late. That really isn't a good use of anyone's time. And it really adds a lot of stress because one of the things, as you know, the kids aren't supposed to know what's going on with the court but they, they get a sense of it. They get bits and pieces and it stresses them out. And depending on the age, they really understand and know a lot more. And sometimes they, you know, their questions, like in family court services, they might be interviewed, depending on the judge, the judge might interview them. If there's a hearing, they might be questioned. And that I would imagine is really, really stressful on a child, any child. I think of my own kids and how that would you know, be for them. So sure, I'm always thinking trying to ask to choose. I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, just just to just to, to comment on what you've already said. I mean, a, a little person who only has an experience of family with this parent and that parent as a unit, and then the family is being taken apart, they don't and shouldn't be involved in any decisions or any thought process or taking care of anything that is beyond age appropriate for their brain mind development. And when we're dealing with hijackal parents, they really like to 
try to use their child as a confidant, they start to move in the direction of parental alienation, try to make themselves out to be the better parent. They start to move in those directions when they're going to court in order to get the child to be fearful of not agreeing with them. And this can get really, really untidy. So there are, as you said, so many things going on behind the scenes. So when you specialize in child custody, then you can work on the finer points because people particularly who have had a divorce and then they need to go back to court because of the custody, are those particularly your folks? Yeah, those are usually my folks. And so mine are, I, I have a little bit of a different client than yours. I try not to take either the hijackal or if I hear that it's a hijackal on one side, that might not be a good fit for me. And then I have other attorneys that I would send them to. I try to attract clients who really want to focus on what they deem is best for their child. And I have an approach to it. We take a look at like, what is the current order? Usually they have a current order if they're already divorced, something they either agreed to or the judge created for them. Mm -hmm. And what about that are they actually doing? What's working? Let's start from what's working. And then how can we fine tune it to make it even better to adjust to what's really happening? And the other parent might say they now want X, Y, and Z, but really can they even do that because of their work schedule or their travel schedule or whatever that might be. And so the goal is how can we fine tune something, a written agreement that we could then hopefully negotiate with the other side or their attorney, work back, forth, back, forth. Sometimes that takes 15 revisions and then create a really great document. That's an agreement that could become an order of the court that we're really focused and really trying to get the other side to focus on really what's best for this family. And part of the problem is sometimes that obviously these people aren't together anymore. So there's already a breakdown in communication. So they may not be able to do this on their own, even if it's something that you or I might look at and think that's fairly straightforward. And there really isn't that far to go on this case. They're kind of close. But because of their breakdown in communication, and they're no longer a couple, possibly because of that, they, they can't do that sometimes. They just can't see through the forest to get there. Yes, so I know there's probably a very good reason why you don't you do the high conflict in the hijackal cases. Um, so I, I'm sure that you've seen seen a few, which has caused you to be high conflict avoidant. <laughs> but you know, I just want to put this side into what you just said because there is this thing, and it's, it doesn't seem to be quite as prevalent and as available in the United States as it is in other places. But this idea of punitive court hearings, like after a while, a hijackal will go to court, go to court, go to court, always asking for tiny things, always making allegations that prove not true. How are we doing in the United States about having a judge say, this is punitive or this is frivolous or, you know, th this has to stop? Well, I only practice here in San Diego, so I can't give advice anywhere outside of California. But, you know, and, and you have to think about two judges change depending on the judge. A lot of judges don't necessarily like family law, and they maybe never did family law. So that's always something to think about. The judge may be someone who only did criminal, and maybe they were a district attorney, and now they're a new judge, and they get put into family court. So each judge is going to have their own nuances. There should be some standard, which there is. But, um, you know, 
some judges will look at it and they have different standards, like say, you know, an ex parte is an emergency type case. Some judges will really look at what are the local rules? Is the child in imminent danger? And if so, then we'll hear the case. If I'm not deeming that, then guess what? We're going to deny your emergency. So the judge might have some longevity in that particular courtroom. And they maybe you've now filed four or five um, filings in the past two years. So the judge, they look at the record and they look at the documents and say, well, you know, now they're back again for pretty much the same issue. And I thought we resolved this two months ago. So the judge does have discretion to say, you know what, I'm not even going to hear this emergency. I'm not deeming this an emergency. But I, I find that a lot of the judges, they do get, they're very kind in most circumstances. They do give a lot of leeway to people and they kind of, kind of have the thought process, let's give this person their day in court because people often feel better, as you know, when they can talk and discuss things. So they often don't shut people down just out of due course. They'll often hear a case. They may not change orders, and especially on emergency basis, they're not going to make permanent type orders, but they're going to think about, like, is the child in danger? And if the child's in danger, they might make a temporary order changing custody or visitation pretty quickly or ordering supervised visitation because no judge is going to want to make an order where they didn't do something and then a child gets hurt. That would not be good, and it does happen. So I hope that answers your question. Yes, and I want to I want to talk a little more about that because it does happen. There's been one in the news recently where the the child was just screaming. She didn't want to go with her mother. She didn't want to go with her mother. My mother's boyfriend is not nice to me. She was little, you know, maybe three and a half or four. And it was, no, you have to go. You have to go. There's an order. You have to go. And so, you know, here we have this child being totally traumatized for very good reasons, because as it turned out, there was a difficulty, but it was enforce the order, enforce the order. And I don't think hmm. we realize sometimes how much trauma that creates. I mean, to use a very pertinent political example right now, we have a lot of children at our border who have been separated from their parents Every one of those children is going to be affected for their lifetime by this separation. We already don't have enough mental health services to deal with the people in this country, to have it be available to people who cannot pay. And now we are creating trauma purposefully. And so when we go to court and we hear that there is trauma, sometimes I really wonder when my clients come back and think, did the judge have any sense of trauma? You know, do, you, do you really get the emotional impact on the child as opposed to, well, this person wants this and this person wants that, so let's kind of meet in the middle. How much training do you think the average family court judge has in being able to assess the level of trauma that is happening? Or do they depend on people like me or 730 evals or whatever for that information? Yeah, what you have to think about when someone's going to court, for one, each judge is different and their background and circumstances are different. You've got some judges who've practiced family law court. That could be good or bad because they've kind of seen it all. So they might see something, oh, this isn't as bad as what I've seen. But the reality is no one knows what's going on 
perfectly besides the families and or the child. That's why I always try to get families to kind of refocus and make these decisions that's best for their family. Because the process, I'm speaking of San Diego, so if you're going to go to court and you just can't work on negotiating this through your attorney or through the, with the other partner, ex-partner, then you're basically in San, in San Diego, you're going to file your papers, you're going to be ordered to go to family court services, which is a mandatory mediation. That mediator currently, because of COVID, it's by telephone. So that might last about an hour. It was in person, it will eventually go back to being in person. They have both parents there. They try to get them to reach some kind of agreement. That may or may not happen in that hour, hour and a half. Often, especially with clients like you see, the hijackles, that's not going to happen. They're not going to reach an agreement. That person might put an amazing foot forward and a whole pretense of how everything is that may not be reality. Now, the family court service person, they may do a little due diligence. They may check on some people. They may contact someone. They might look at the um, child welfare service reports if there are some, but they're going to, they've got a lot of cases, a lot of people. They're, they're going to put some resources in it, but it really just depends. They have a lot of limitations, and especially right now, a lot of cutbacks. So they've spent an hour, hour and a half now with these people, and they're making a report, and they're going to make some very important recommendations to the judge. Now, a lot of judges are going to look at that report and say, you know what, this licensed clinical social worker, family court service person spent an hour and a half with this family, tried to work things out. They have a lot more background information than I do as the judge. So I'm going to pretty much go with what they're suggesting, what their recommendations are. Now, that's where someone like me comes in or you that's you're used to looking at those reports. We can see beyond the opinions and all that. And what is the recommendation and how can we fine tune that to make that more in line with what our client wants that's best for their child. If that's not done properly, the judge is pretty much, you're going to get to court, be representing yourself and the judge, you're going to not even going to understand it. Sometimes what's hidden maybe in there. I had a client a few years ago who didn't realize that the judge adapted that recommendation from family court services and it also included a 52-week um, domestic violence program, which the judge didn't say, sir, you must do this 52-week program, da-da-da. It was just in the six pages of report. So he didn't understand he had to do that, and he didn't do it. And then, lo and behold, I got the case a few years later. Well, did you do your 50? What? I don't have a... Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's right there. So... Um, it's, you know, it's very important to know what's going on. And people sometimes think they understand the system because they've been in the system multiple times, like you said, going back to court, but they may not be doing things exactly right and, and how an attorney who's experienced in this would, would do it. Right. And one of the things I know from being to, going to court for my clients, which I don't do anymore, uh, is that hijackles hire hijackle attorneys. So they will, they will have an attorney. The attorney won't be ferocious enough, won't be demanding enough, won't be emotional enough. And so they'll hire another one. And so then we get a different series of court experiences because they've changed attorneys. I remember being in court one day on behalf of a client and it was just a circus because first of all, the, the hijack of husband, ex-husband, was up and down out of his chair and, you know, sit down, sir, up all the time. And then the attorney would be up and pacing and he was wearing clogs. And so he was making this terrible noise, pacing back and forth. And it turned into a circus, which finally the judge just kind of went, 
I, I can't deal with this. I just can't deal with this. Sent me out of the room, said, you know, I'm just going to have to go ahead because they had time limitations. So they're either going to have to continue it or they're going to have to do something and make some kind of recommendation. So these things certainly happen. And no matter which side you are on as an attorney, you're going to have some effect from this because either you're going to have a hijackal who has a hijackal attorney who's going to be two against one manipulating the situation, or your client is going to be a hijackal and they may be wanting something that is totally outrageous. And you may have to try and be realistic with them, even if you have hijackal tendencies yourself. So I really wanted to clarify this whole thing. How often is it fair to go back and renegotiate child custody? Like what would be a reasonable amount of time? Because kids grow up, they have more needs, they have different needs, they have different friend needs, they have different school needs. How often would you say that it is acceptable to renegotiate a child custody agreement? Well, if there's a true emergency, then any time, you know, a true emergency is obviously different. Um, but otherwise, it really depends on the circumstances. But the court really doesn't want to see you probably um, more than once a year. So family court service, they're usually not going to send you if you've been there within the year, they're probably not going to send you unless there's some real extenuating circumstances. And in San Diego, you have to go through family court service before the judge is going to make a custody visitation order generally. Um, but I want to go back to your point, and then we could go back to this for a second as well. So if you are a hijackal listening to the show, you probably need to find a hijackal attorney because an attorney like me, I, I don't want a hijackal client. And, and even with that said, there's sometimes clients that I'm thinking, oh yeah, they want to negotiate. They want to do what's best for their child. But sometimes I don't necessarily know they're a hijackal until later on and I'm representing them. So sometimes we could part ways if we're not a good fit. But if you um, are up against a hijackal, then, you know, the, there's also tactics with that. Like my approach is always, well, we obviously see some of the things that the other side is doing it that we don't deem great. But really what I've found is that most judges, they don't necessarily want to hear that, even though you and I would think that's important. And most parents bringing a case to court would think that's important to hear. I kind of somewhere along the way often change the focus to take not so much to, about all the bad things the other parents doing, but what are the good things I'm doing in my house as the parent I'm representing? What, what are they doing and how is the relationship with the child in their house and all the good things that they're doing? Because that's really important and a judge really wants to see that because they realize there's a lot of the bad blood and they kind of get overburdened with that. Um, but back to what, what, what give me, your short version of your question again, so I could get back to answering that part. Well, I, I, it wasn't really a question. It was just more that, you know, when you when you have this desire to renegotiate, oh. yes, of course, there's an emergency, an ex parte sure. situation, but sometimes mm -hmm. the, the kids just don't want to go there anymore. I get that. So sometimes it's a change of circumstance. One parent wants to move out of state. That's a total uphill battle. Uh, one person changes jobs or they need to move somewhere within the county, say, or so moving is something. The age of the child, schools, sometimes there's battles over which school should the child be at. Um, so there's a lot of factors that could come into play of why you would go back and age certainly could be one of them. Um, I've 
you know, had cases where the child's more like 13, 14, 15, could be a girl who suddenly realizes she really wants to live with dad more, could be a boy who really wants to live with dad more. I often represent fathers. I often represent mothers. I represent either one. And sometimes it's not like it used to be when you and I were children, where it would probably be like a man going to court would be maybe almost laughed at. Uh, the courts really do want fathers interactive and parts of the child's life. So it is possible for a man to have primary custody. And as you and I know, there's a difference between legal custody, where they're going to make decisions on school and medical and health and that kind of stuff versus physical custody. Who is the child primarily going to live with? You could call it joint physical custody and people get hung up on percentages. Oh, little Johnny has to be at mom's house 50% of the time and at dad's. And does it really work out that way? No. I try to get clients to really work on like, really what is working for the family? You know, where, where does the child go to school? And does it make sense to sleep mostly at mom and, or dad's house? And the less changes back and forth, I helped some, a couple or ex couple last year and they wanted the little child, it was only three, to switch back and forth almost every single night. Now, did I think that was a great idea? No, but that's what they wanted. And I haven't heard from them since I drafted them something. And I think it worked for them. So yeah, it, it's tricky. That's, yeah. that's really tricky. And, and yes, let's go back and let me add my piece about the hijackal situation. They want, as we alluded to earlier, they want as much as they can get. One of the reasons you brought up and we didn't discuss is financial. Because if we get to the 50-50 situation, then we have a whole different situation. The only um, way that we work it out is with the differential between the incomes and expenses, the financial disclosures of the two parents. Um, and that's a really tricky situation. So they, they may want 50-50 custody, and it may be for the wrong reasons. How does the court look at that if it's exposed that, okay, we have 50-50 custody, but you didn't show up for 40% of it, now we're revisiting this because of that, and we need to make a different financial arrangement as well as a different custody arrangement. So sometimes people, they're basing it on, they have this order, and it says 50-50, but like you just said, it may not in actuality be that. Well, unless you bring that forward as the person, not you personally, um, unless the client brings that forward to the court, they're going to assume everything's dandy and the the person is actually seeing the child 50%. And so even then, if you try to do the child support, if you just do the child support portion itself, and you haven't done anything now to change the actual visitation order, you're, they're still going to base the child support on the current order. So it has to be kind of done together. So you need to get new orders. So if the reality is, so on paper, it looks like both parents have the child 50% of the time, but the reality will just say mom has the child 70% and dad really 30%. Then you need to go back to court and you need to modify the existing order so it accurately reflects what's happening. And then the judge isn't necessarily going to say the, the visitation custody judge isn't going to say, oh, okay, well, you have 70%, 30%, but there's calculations and ways to figure that out. And so you either have that same judge working on 
then changing the child support as well at the same time. So now we've got an order reflecting the actual visitation or what we're modifying to. And now we're also modifying the support at the same time. That could happen that way. But a lot of times here in San Diego, we have something called DCSS, which is the Department of Child Support Services, that they're handling the support. So they might be a total different judge that's handling the support versus the one that's doing the custody and visitation. So in that case, you hammer out and you get your new order of the custody visitation, and then you take it over to the other department and say, hey, this is really the reality. I have a, you know, a new order, and the actuality is it comes down to 70%, 30%. I need this adjusted, the financial aspect of it. So it could be messy. Oh, we've got so much to talk about because it just triggered me and the fact that I had a a client who wanted more custody and he actually, and again, it was a man um, who was the hijackal and he wanted more custody. So he quit his job to show that he was going to stay home. And then he went for support for himself to stay home. I mean, it was just amazing. And all these things can happen, but we're out of time for today. So thanks so much, Andrea, for being with me. My guest today is Andrea Schneider. She's an attorney. You find her at andreaschneider.us. And that's Andrea, A-N-D-R-E-A. S C H N I. Oh, N E I. N E. I knew I was going to do it wrong. You do it. Andrea, A N D R E A, Schneider, S C H N E I D E R dot U S. That's my website. And it's in the show notes for you anyway, so you can find her. Of course, she's said many times that she works in San Diego County here where we live. So that's how we happen to be colleagues as well as um, my prevailing upon her to share her expertise with you. So go to andreaschneider.us and learn more. Check the show notes below where you can see more about her and her bio and all. And until we talk again, take very good care of yourself. Because it can be very, very difficult living with a hijackal, and you have to be your own best friend. Talk soon. Thank you for joining me on the Save Your Sanity podcast today. I hope you've had some new insights, some ideas and strategies to help you gain clarity and confidence for moving forward toward greater emotional health and safety. You deserve that, and so do your children. If you found value here and would like to support this podcast with a dollar or five each month, please do so at patreon.com slash saveyoursanity. Learn more about how to work with me by a video conference, join my optimized circles, or subscribe to this podcast on my YouTube channel at my website, transformingrelationship.com. Talk soon.